Presenting this month's special series, Focus on Children's Health on ReachMD. We all know that cancer does not discriminate when attacking our patients, whether it's race, age, or gender. However, there are a group of patients that tends to get overlooked. We call this group the lost generation. So we ask ourselves, who is this lost generation? Why do the unique environmental and psychosocial and even unique biological issues facing them get overlooked? You are listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Jerome Liss. Joining me to discuss the lost generation is Dr. David Fryer, director of the Life Survivorship and Transition Program at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. Dr. Fryer provides medical care to long-term survivors of childhood cancer and coordinating overall program services, development, and outreach, things that are crucial for children experiencing cancer in order to better understand the unique needs of cancer patients between the ages of 15 and 39. Dr. Fryer, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Dr. Fryer, before we get into the details, let's talk about who makes up this lost generation. It's actually one of my uh, first times hearing the term. Well, the lost generation, Jerome, uh, refers to adolescent and young adult patients. That age group has been defined by the National Cancer Institute as patients that fall in the 15 to 39-year-old age group. And so what are some of the unique challenges facing this group since I'm about exiting this age range about now. Right. Well, the thing that called attention to this group of patients actually are a number of observations that were made that defined them. And in the oncology world, those consisted of primarily of inferior medical outcomes. The reason that uh, the 15 to 39-year-old group was uh, defined was because the National Cancer Institute, uh, which collects data on long-term survival in patients who are on their clinical trials that are federally funded, it became evident that over the past 25 years or so that uh, patients in the 15 to 39-year-old group have demonstrated lower rates of improvement in survival. In other words, when we track the improvement that occurs, say, in five-year intervals, and you like to see, of course, improving survival as time passes, it was found that patients who are younger than 15, younger children, and also adults who are older than 39 have actually shown better improvements in their survival over the past 25 or so years than the 15 to 39-year-old group. In other words, these patients have not had improvements that have been seen uh, as briskly in those other uh, groups. In fact, in some of the 15 to 39-year-old groups and some of the subsets of that, they've actually lost ground and their uh, rates of improvement have actually declined, meaning that we've actually lost ground in terms of their survival over the past 20 or 25 years. It seems like this group is, you know, just when you're 15, you're just kind of transitioning, you're in, you're in high school, you're starting to make more friends. What is the reason probably for why this group is... Uh, it seems like a pretty young, active group here. So 20s, 30s, you know, these may be a group of individuals that maybe not want to take medication, want to appear normal, I guess, to their peers, or others. Is it a social economic issue? Is it just the age range? What do you think it is? 
Well, you've hit on a lot of the theorized possibilities uh, that might explain uh, the observation that I mentioned. One of the most striking observations that accompanies the lower rates of survival improvement have been the very low, exceedingly low participation rate in clinical trials of any of the age groups that I uh, mentioned. In other words, patients in the 15 to 39-year-old group have the lowest rate of participation in clinical trials that are federally funded of uh, all uh, cancer patients. We know that in childhood, in pediatric oncology, the tremendous improvements in survival that we have seen over the, the same time frame, the last 30 years or so, have probably occurred because of the very high rate of participation in clinical oncology trials you know, by children. That allows new drugs to be tested, uh, new treatment strategies to be developed, new and safer forms of treatment to be uh, introduced. And when patients don't participate in those clinical trials, they really are cut off from the opportunity to receive the benefits of those new uh, strategies. So if one factor were to be identified, it's probably the low participation rate in clinical trials, and a lot of effort is being focused now on trying to improve that. Some of the other things that you mentioned are also important, although the extent to which we are still trying to define with research that's underway, we think that there may be differences in the way that these patients in this AYA or adolescent young adult age group metabolize drugs, for example. Their treatment tolerance mm-hmm. is different. They may develop right. more toxicity in some cases. There's some thought that their uh, disease biology is different. There's a lot of work being invested right now in research to determine whether, say, the same disease, such as acute lymphoblastic leukemia, the most common childhood cancer, is really the same disease in a 5-year-old as opposed to a 15- or 20-year-old. There's some evidence actually emerging now that there may be differences in the chromosomal aberrations that underlie those malignancies, for example. Adherence to treatment is one that you mentioned that's very important. You know, one of the challenging aspects of taking care of patients in the older adolescent group is being compliant or adherent to the treatment regimens. And of course, if they're not getting the therapy that is going to be curative, then there's little likelihood that it's going to do them any good. And then finally, another issue is uh, having access to appropriate care. A lot of uh, adolescents and young adults are treated in the communities and don't have access to NCI-funded clinical trials that are typically delivered through larger cancer treatment centers that are sometimes associated with academic institutions. Right. You touched on something that I was just about to ask you about access. And we talk about access to care. If you're a teenager and you have cancer, you may not think about clinical trials as a possible option for you. Do you notice any differences in those patients, these young adults that are going into clinical trials, those few that do go into clinical trials? What is the ethnic makeup? Do you see that there's a far fewer of one ethnicity than another? Well, that's another challenge that I would say further complicates the whole observation of adolescents and young adults. We know that there are good data to show that compared with younger patients, especially you know younger children, adolescents and young adults, there's a far higher proportion of them that are treated in a community-based setting. And I would want to state, I guess, that there's nothing fundamentally wrong, obviously, with being treated in the community. That's a lot of oncology is delivered, especially to the 
adult world in that setting, and it's sometimes the most convenient site for care for many families. But the difficulty is that most medical oncologists, you know, who treat adult patients on a regular basis don't have the familiarity with younger patients, you know, your adolescents, your older adolescents, and some of the diseases that occur in young adults that are more typical of pediatric patients, such as Ewing sarcoma or osteosarcoma or acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Those diseases are more common in pediatrics, and so having access to pediatric oncology expertise, which is not commonly available in smaller communities, is something that can work against these AYA patients. Okay. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jerome Liss, and joining me is Dr. David Fryer, Director of the Life Survivorship and Transition Program at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. Dr. Fryer provides medical care to long-term survivors of childhood cancer and coordinating overall program services development and outreach in order to better understand the unique needs of cancer patients between 15 and 39 years of age. What does survivorship mean to this group uh, different from many others? Well, cancer survivorship is the state, of course, of being a long-term survivor of cancer, usually defined as being alive five years or longer after a diagnosis, and we know that most of those patients, fortunately, do become long-term survivors. One of the challenges that we have in pediatric oncology is that it's a wonderful challenge to have, which is that many of our patients become survivors. In fact, our overall cure rate, if you will, or long-term survivor rate in pediatric oncology is a little bit over 80% meaning that over 80% of all of the patients who walk through our door who are, you know, children or uh, adolescents become long-term survivors. That's a wonderful thing, but it's become clear to us that these patients do encounter certain medical risks and in some cases actual problems that develop long-term as a result of their prior cancer treatment toxic chemotherapy agents, radiation therapy, sometimes significant operations, you know, surgical interventions. And those long-term challenges then can become health issues for them. Good data show that about two-thirds of long-term childhood cancer survivors uh, actually have one or more medical problems, and a full third of those have clinically significant problems that are deemed to be severe or even life-threatening. So the challenge for long-term cancer survivors is that they need care long-term, long-term monitoring, access to people who are familiar with these problems and who have strategies that may be able to prevent or ameliorate those problems and at the very least be able to detect them early so that intervention can occur. When these young people become young adults, you know, they grow out of the pediatric age group into the young adult age group, you know, in the early 20s or so, that's when we begin to see a significant fall off in the return rate of these patients. In other words, they kind of drop out of ongoing medical uh, surveillance. That's one of the main challenges. And then, of course, when you have these young people who are needing to complete a lot of developmental tasks that are typical for their age, they're finishing school, they're trying to find their first jobs, they're trying to get good jobs with benefits and maintain their health insurance as well as establishing their permanent relationships with significant others, beginning to raise families and so forth. There's a lot going on in that early adulthood time, both medically and psychosocially, and we try to address all of those things in this group of young adult survivors of childhood cancer. So when you talk about the current research that's dedicated to this area and options for these patients in clinical trials, can you touch on some of that as well as far as what's out there for them? For clinical trials of newly diagnosed patients? Yes. Yeah. 
Well, there's a lot of attention being given to this, and it's a, a good question. I think certainly by uh, having this fully on the radar screen of the National Cancer Institute, that has drawn a lot of attention to this group of patients. Some of the initiatives that are taking place nationally to address it include a collaboration between the National Cancer Institute and the Lance Armstrong Foundation called the Live Strong Young Adult Alliance. The Young Adult Alliance was born out of a project uh, undertaken by the NCI and the Lance Armstrong Foundation called a Progress Review Group. Those are conducted periodically by the National Cancer Institute in priority areas to define the state of the art and the challenges that face them and to try to muster resources to pursue research. A Progress Review Group held in uh, 2005 to 2006 by the Lance Armstrong Foundation and the NCI uh, resulted in the creation of the Young Adult Alliance, which is a confederation of a number of different organizations that all have in common a focus on adolescent and young adult oncology to try to bring to bear the resources that are necessary to ask the right research questions, to provide funding to pursue them, to you know answer those questions, as well as to support and advocate for adolescents and young adults with cancer in general. So when you talk about coordinating programs and improving survival in this group, What things do you feel are the most important things improving survival and coordinating care? Improving survival, I think, without a doubt, is to open clinical trials that are focused on the medical concerns of these patients. You know, we have right now a lot of descriptive research is being done to try to identify where the disparities are in outcome for these adolescents and young adults, you know, identify the diseases of highest priority, and then to uh, open clinical trials that address those questions to get at the underlying reasons for these disparities. Is it biology? Are there differences in these diseases? Or is it a compliance issue, you know, with therapy? The better we can understand those, the better we can target interventions for them. And I think without a doubt, uh, trying to do the research that underlies those issues and then to open clinical trials and then to get those patients onto the clinical trials is without a doubt the most important thing. There are a lot of advocacy groups that are trying to address some of the other issues, you know, like supporting these young people emotionally and psychosocially, Mm -hmm. helping them get the insurance that they need. Those are all very important and, and many advocacy groups are trying to do that. But NCI funded clinical trials as offered by the Children's Oncology Group, for example, as well as some of the adult uh, groups like the Southwest Oncology Group and the CALGB, ECOG, and some of those others are all, you know, exceedingly important to try to improve those outcomes. Well, you know, you've provided us with a lot of great information today, and I'm sure that with further research that we're going to definitely answer a lot of these questions. I would like to thank my guest, Dr. David Fryer, Director of the Life Survivorship and Transition Program at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Dr. Fryer provides medical care to long-term survivors of childhood cancer and coordinating overall program services development and outreach in order to better understand the unique needs of cancer patients between 15 and 39 years of age. For helping us better the lost generation of cancer patients, Dr. Fryer, thank you very much. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, Jerome. I appreciate the invitation to be on the uh, show. Yes, and I am Dr. Jerome Liss. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD is online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. You've been listening to Focus on Children's Health on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals.